The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of Deuteronomy. If you're not familiar with where Deuteronomy is, it's the fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Um, so hopefully that will help you get there. And we're going to be Deuteronomy chapter 8 uh, this morning. Uh, the eighth chapter in the fifth book of, what, uh, of our Bibles this morning is where we'll be. Um, as you're turning there, uh, let me just point out some things. Over the past several years, well, let me, before I say that, um, we're right now in the middle of this series. Um, this little mini-series in the middle of uh, a larger series going through a book of the Bible. But now we're in Imagine, what we're calling Imagine. And um, this is all about stewardship. It's all about learning what God says for us to do in order to be biblical and following Him in the way we handle money. But not just money, but resources, our lives, the gifts that He's given us talents that we have, whatever it is, whatever you can think of, there is nothing that is yours that you came up with. Isn't that true? You look at it, there's nothing that is yours that you came up with. We're going to look at that today uh, as we look at this passage. But over the last several years in, in this country, a lot of businesses have closed their doors. A lot of businesses have closed down. Now, some of those have closed because there have been uh, financial fraud Businesses like Enron, where customers and employees were ripped off. Someone sought to steal from them. And criminal fraud was involved. And these businesses have closed down because of this financial mismanagement uh, that was fraud. But other times it's not fraud. It's not so criminal. It's just mismanagement of another sort. The businesses got in trouble because they just didn't do a budget. The people or the, or the person that was supposed to be keeping the books for the, the business just didn't do their job. And so the business had to close down. How long do you think a $2 million business would stay in business if that business never, did, never, never bothered to do a budget? Probably not very long, right? $2 million business would not stay in business very long without doing a budget. Well, the reality is that most families in the course of their working lifetimes will see $2 million come through their hands. And how does that make you feel? Uh, in your working lifetime, probably you and your family will see $2 million flow through your hands. So let me ask you a question. Imagine you worked as a bookkeeper for a company called You Incorporated. If you kept the books, like you keep the books for you, would you fire you? Now, doesn't that help to put it in perspective? When you think about it that way, most of us are not doing the best job we could at managing what God has given us, what comes through our hands. And we're not talking here today um, about something that doesn't have anything to do with us. Instead, this really hits home. Today, what we're going to talk about is ownership and management. Now, those of you who are not business types, I'm not a business type, you may be tempted to tune out, so let me just encourage you to stick with me. This is, this is something that you're going to benefit from greatly, I believe, because this is the Word of God, and, and, and we are praying that God would speak this morning to us, and as Ethan prayed, soften hardened hearts, so just hang in there and listen well. 
Um, we have to understand that we are only managers. That we're only managers of someone else's money. That we do work for a company called You Incorporated. But guess who the boss is? Guess who the owner is? God is. God is the owner of all things. I want to, before I look at Deuteronomy 8, you don't have to turn here. I just want to share with you just a, a couple of passages. We are called to manage God's money and resources. Psalm 24, don't turn, just listen. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 2 say, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but that's, that's pretty inclusive. The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof, which means everything that's in the earth and on the earth, it's his. He owns it. And then it goes on and it says, the world and all those who dwell therein, which means not just the believers, but every person who has ever lived or ever will live. Have you ever known anyone that lived anywhere else besides the world? I haven't. They're all His. Psalm chapter 50, 10 and 11 says, For every beast of the forest. You ever been out in the forest at night and hear things and think, Ooh, don't really like being here right now, right? Every beast that's out there is his. Every cow on a thousand hills is his. Every bird that flies and flutters in the trees and in the sky over those hills are his, Psalm 50 says. And all that moves in the field is mine. So we've got to start out this morning realizing that nothing that we have is ours. If the Word of God is true, He owns everything. This means your kids, your job, your house, your bank account, your retirement fund. Everything is His. Some of you may not like hearing this. You may think, well, no, 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 no. I've worked hard. That's not God's money. That's mine in my bank account. I worked hard. I've earned this. I deserve it. Well, that's not the first time that God's heard that objection. But it doesn't change the fact that he still is the rightful owner of everything. Before, before we uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to look there. I want you just to understand what's going on there in chapter 8. God is, is about to lead the children of Israel finally into the promised land, and Moses is not going to go with them. He's not going to be allowed to go in, but he wants to remind them of some things that they have been taught, that God's been teaching them while they've been wandering in the wilderness after being delivered from slavery in Egypt for 40 years. He wants them to understand and to get these lessons about ownership and management. And he's going to speak to them just prior to, he, to them going in. So let's look at this together. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we'll begin in verse 1 and read the entire chapter together. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1 says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way of the, that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might 
humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on, your, on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and and scorpions. And thirsty ground where there was no, no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. That he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This morning, I want to show you some things about God's ownership. Now, I've titled this, Ownership, Management, and the Danger of Blessing. We don't often think about blessing being a place of danger, but I hope you're going to see today that sometimes the most dangerous place for a believer to be is smack dab in the middle of blessing. Smack dab, that's a good southern word there. So, you get... Learn this together. First off, God owns the wilderness. God owns the wilderness. Notice the description of the wilderness in verse 15. Great and terrifying. With its fiery serpents and scorpions. Now, Some of you, this makes you crawl right where you are. Some of you can't stand to see even a picture of a snake. Wallace sitting right over here. Uh, pick on Wallace just for a minute. The book that we've been going through in our men's group together on the cover of the book has a picture of just the tail of a snake coming down. It's about the, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Wallace shows up at our second meeting after I handed those books out, and he had taken a name badge and stuck that right over the picture of the tail of that snake. 
because he couldn't even bear to look at it. Now think about the children of Israel as they wander through the wilderness, this great and terrifying wilderness filled with fiery serpents and scorpions. With thirsty ground, it goes on to say, where there was no water. I brought my bottle of water up here because yesterday I, was, I had the privilege of going to a football game, and I screamed and made a fool of myself. need to apologize to the people I was with. But uh, and don't have much of a voice today, but imagine wandering through a desert for 40 years where there is no water. They came out of Egypt where there was the Nile, the one river that ran through Egypt that, that was the great life giver of their land, they thought. They came out of that, and they came into a land that had no water, dry ground, thirsty ground. This is their experience. This is where they were going. God owns the wilderness. Also, the wilderness is described, don't miss, not just as the wilderness they went into, but where they came out of. That their experience, the wilderness for them, began not in the desert, but it began in Egypt as slaves. And God owned that too. Well, if this is the way the wilderness is described, great and terrifying, fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water, and they came to that from being slaves in Egypt, what was their experience while they were in this wilderness? Well, verse 4 says, their clothing did not wear out on them. For 40 years. 40 years. Now, some of you have some clothes that you pull out and you put on at night when no one else is going to be around that you'll wear in your house that you've had for a number of years. They've got holes and stains, and they are as comfortable as they can be. But 40 years? 40 years in the wilderness they're wearing these? Have any of you ever bought your kids' school clothes in August? How long did they last? Sometimes not till September, right? I mean, they come in, they're, they're up. Above their socks, you know, or your kids say, oh, I was, you know, thought it'd be a good idea to, to jump off the house. And I didn't know it would rip my pants, you know, or whatever they do, right? Forty years, not just responsible adults wandering in the wilderness took care of these clothes and they lasted for 40 years. Kids, everybody, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. Not just that, but their feet did not swell Some of you can't walk through Walmart without your feet swelling, right? I'm allergic to malls. That's the truth, isn't it? I I can go, you know, at something that I enjoy or something that I want to do for hours. But you take me in a mall. You walk me into Macy's or into Belk or one of those places, and I walk in, and all of a sudden, my nasal passages swell shut, my feet hurt, my back is killing me, right? Now, men in the room, am I the only one? Right? Can't stand them. They walked in the wilderness for 40 years, and their feet didn't swell, and their clothing did not wear out. I want you to notice, though, This is not just some great coincidence. Notice the active, non-passive language about God in verses 2 and 3. God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That He might humble you, testing you. He humbled you. He let you hunger. 
He fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I say to you this morning that one of the things that we need to know about ownership, management, and the danger of blessing, first off, is that God owns the wilderness. God often takes us through times of hunger so that we will learn in the midst of hunger to trust Him as a good Father. Verse 3, this is what it's talking about. Some of you right now are in the middle of a time of hunger. You're right in the middle of a time of hunger and you're wondering... When's this going to end? How am I going to make it? I mean, maybe you're here and you've lost a job. Maybe you're here and you're just not being noticed by your boss. Maybe you can't seem to make ends meet and you worry constantly about how you're going to make it. And you're in this hungry season. And one of the best things that I could say to you today is that in the middle of the season where you are right now, God's not surprised. God owns where you are. He owns the wilderness. He owns the hungry places. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, in the middle of your hungry place, He's trying to teach you to trust Him, not the stuff. His provision may look strange to you. When He fed them with manna in the wilderness, they said, what is this? Hey, Dad, you ever seen anything like that? I've never seen anything like that. Isn't that what the text says? You didn't know what it was. Your fathers didn't know what it was. It may look strange to you. God's provision may look strange. Sometimes it may look like it's not going to happen at all. There's no way God could provide in this situation. It looks hopeless. But church, rest assured, our God is good. He is a good father This is exactly what Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. If your father was really a good dad, would he really have you out here with nothing to eat but stones? Turn these stones into bread. Forget your father's provision. Reach out and take it for yourself. Church, rest assured that in the middle of the hungry wilderness places, God owns even that. And he is a good father. You're not there taking him by surprise. He knows you're there and he is providing. Trust him in his provision. Matthew chapter 7 says, Which, of, which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, for a piece of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Matthew 6, right before this, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Let's be honest. In this day and age, in this room, there's very few of us in this room that are worried about what we're going to put on. Right? Or what we're going to eat. Or where we're going to lay our head. Very few of us in this room. There are people around the world that are worrying about those things. Most of us don't worry about these things, but we make them worries. We add to them. We don't trust His provision, even though His provision is so much more than we ever really need. 
Is not life more than food and the body and more than clothing? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. If, if he's good and we, and, and we can trust him, then he, he knows. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Church, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. But if you're in the middle of a wilderness setting where you are hungry and there are things that are not happening that you would love to see happen, things that you think, well, I need this and it just doesn't seem to be coming, rest assured that God owns the wilderness. Secondly, God owns the good land. Look at verse 7 through 10. What's the description of the good land that God's leading them into? Moses says, look, this is where you've been, but look at where you're going. God's leading you here. This is a land, verse 7, of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. And they went from Egypt where there was the great life-giving river Nile to the desert where the ground's thirsty, there's no water, to now a place where there are brooks and streams and I mean, there's just springs that just bubble up from the ground all over the hills and the valleys where God's going to lead them to. He's put them in a season of thirst to trust Him to provide their water, and then He's going to lead them into a place where it is flourishing. That's a long way from thirsty ground, isn't it? It's also the good land is a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive trees and honey. It's a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Don't you like going to a restaurant that brings you bread before the, before the meal? And the waitress comes around and says, should I bring some more bread? Do you have to ask? Bring the bread, right? This is the good land. This is a long way from manna. It's also a land in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. This is a land where they're going to prosper, where they're going to have work and they're going to have wealth even. They can make tools. They can dig this out. This is a far cry from great and terrifying. It's great, but it's not so terrifying because they're going to have all that they will need. What is life like in this good land? Look at verses 12 through 13. You eat until you're full. Amen, right? You eat until you're full. Don't the vast majority of us have this experience quite often? I mean, we live in a place where we have terms like stretchy pants for a reason. (laughs) Right? We live in a culture that pokes fun of after the Thanksgiving meal letting the the belt out or undoing the pants altogether. Right? Right? This is the culture we live in. This is the good land. There in the good land, they eat until they're full. They build and live in good houses. And couldn't we say that compared to the standards of housing in the rest of the world, that we live in good houses? But yet we say things like, I don't have a garage. And I want a garage. I mean, I don't want to have to go out in the wintertime and start my car in the morning and get cold for the 30 seconds that it takes me to walk out the door and start the car and come back. I, that's just too inconvenient. I want to build a garage. And I'll take a loan out and finance it to do it. 
Or we say things like, well, I've got a garage, but I've only got two garages, and I've filled those with stuff that I might need one day. I have no place to park my car now, so now I want to build on, and I want to build more garages. Wouldn't we say that we live in a place where we live in good houses, well-built? In the good land, their herds and their flocks and their silver and their gold multiply. Yes, we're in the middle of a recession, but can't we still say, oh, we have been a prosperous people. In fact, in the good land, everything multiplies is the words that are used there. So what should be the outcome of life in the good land? Look at verse 10. And you shall eat and be full, which means there's nothing wrong with stuff. Enjoy it. But let it come to its appointed end. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. Some of us, if we're honest, are living in the middle of the good land right now. And I would simply stop and ask you this question before I move on. Have you stopped to bless the Lord? Have you stopped to offer praise and thanksgiving for where you live, for what you have, for how He has provided for you? Or are you constantly looking at what you don't have? Constantly looking at what your neighbor has that you don't have. And throwing yourself a pity party and not blessing the Lord. The third point I'll make to you today is this, that inside every blessing is its own temptation. God owns the wilderness, He owns the good land, but inside every blessing is its own temptation. Listen to verses 11 through 16. The first temptation when we are blessed, when we're living in the good land, the first temptation Moses warns them about is that they might forget the Lord. 11 through 16, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and have lived in them and when your herds and flocks and silver and gold multiply and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. The first temptation inside in the midst of blessing is forgetting all that the Lord has done. Isn't it easy to forget how God has fed us? Isn't it easy to forget how God has sheltered us? How He has prospered us? Isn't it easy to forget how God has delivered us? Isn't it easy to forget how God has led us? How He's protected us? How He's quenched our thirst in the middle of dry land? Isn't it easy to forget how He's done so much good to us in the end? There's a temptation when you're living in the middle of the blessing, and it is to forget God. To become so enamored with the stuff that you forget the giver of the stuff. Ever had this experience? You give a gift to maybe your kids on, on Christmas or their birthday, and they open it up, 
And yes, that you want them to enjoy the thing, but you would love for them to turn and say, thank you, mom and dad. This is just what I wanted. Maybe you've had the experience of them opening it up and saying, this isn't what I wanted at all. Right? When we live in the middle of blessings, sometimes it's easy. There's a temptation to forget the Lord. Second temptation in the middle of blessing is to take credit for ourselves. This is verse 17. He says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. This is the picture of this is given in, in King Nebuchadnezzar as he looks out over Babylon and he boasts about the kingdom that he has built. Do you remember what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? God humbled him. He lost his mind. He wound up living in the field like a beast of the field, eating grass. The Bible says that his hair grew long like the feathers of an eagle. And his fingernails grew long like the claws of an eagle. That when we are at that point where we say, oh, look at what all I've done. We are spitting in the face of God. We're taking credit for ourselves for something that we never did. And yes, this is close to forgetting the Lord. But this takes it one step further. It's not just forgetting the Lord. It's now taking credit for what the Lord has done. The third temptation in the middle of blessing is to worship other gods. Verse 19, the first part of verse 19, he says, If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, he knows that when they go into this land, this promised land, they're going in among pagan people, those outside of those people that had been brought into covenant with God. And they worship strange gods. Scripture talks about them cutting down a tree, and half of the tree they take it and they they carve it into an idol, and they, they bow down and they worship that God. But with the other half of the tree, they take it and they throw it in the fire, or they build structures with it. They consume it. This is, this is what he's warning them about. You're going to go into this strange land, and if you, if you forget the Lord in the middle of the blessing that he's leading you into, you may take credit for it yourself, but you may also leave him altogether and begin to worship other gods. When we forget that God owns everything, that he has generously allowed us to manage his stuff, what happens is we wind up misusing the stuff because we forget why we have it in the first place. If, if everything is God's, Psalm 24, Psalm 50, if everything is God's and He has generously allowed us to touch it, to manage it, to hold on to it for a little while, doesn't it make sense that He's put it there for us to use for Him? But if we forget the Lord and take credit for it ourselves and begin to worship other gods, and we forget why we had this stuff to begin with, and it becomes the ultimate thing. God's no longer ultimate, preeminent in our lives. The stuff is. We worship these other gods of stuff. You'll use this stuff for your own pleasure, not according to His design. You'll wind up worshiping and serving the creation rather than the Creator. It's Romans 1. And that's why I say to you this morning that sometimes the most dangerous place for a person to be is in the middle, in the smack dab middle of blessing. Because every blessing comes with a test inside. 
Every blessing comes with this temptation to forget God and take credit for yourself and leave God all alone and and go off after other things. Colin Smith, uh, another pastor, said this, Never wish yourself into another man's temptation. You do not know how you would handle the temptation that lurks in what he has. You ever stop to think about that? You look at what someone else has and you think, boy, I'd like to have that. Why does he have that? I, I want that. You ever stop to think that the goodness of God and him not giving it to you may, may just be protecting you from the temptation that's in it? Colin Smith, that's what he says. He goes on. The very fact that you are experiencing envy may be an indication that you would not handle it well and that it is God's grace and his kindness that has kept you from being exposed to the temptation with which he has to deal. Never wish yourself into another man or another woman's temptation by looking at their blessing and saying, I want what they got. God owns it all. He gives you certain things to manage And inside every blessing is its own temptation. And if God is good, he knows what he's doing and giving us what we have. So, where does this leave you? Well, verses 19 and 20. If if you do fall to this temptation and you, you go after these other things, these other gods, by taking credit for yourself, which started with you forgetting God himself, verses 19 and 20 says, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. The word there is perish. To pass away, to die. When the people of God act like the people of the world, they will share the fate of the rest of the nations. Now, the people of God, meaning those Israelites, they would share it in a a literal way so many times. God's faithful to his covenant, and he kept the covenant with them, bringing Christ out of the line of Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. But there is a principle that can be applied to us today, living in 2013. When we leave God, forget him, and take credit for the things ourselves, and use them for our own purposes, and ignore his design we no longer are able to truly enjoy the blessings of God. Haven't you seen people who seem to have everything, but they're miserable? And they drive that car that you'd love to have. Now, I realize they don't always look miserable. But when, when people have stuff to the point where it has them... And they're banking on the stuff to bring them joy and satisfaction. I can guarantee you, I can, I, can, I can promise you, they're miserable inside. We can enjoy certain things. I enjoyed going to Neyland Stadium yesterday and sitting there with 105,000 people. I enjoyed that. That was a blessing from God. But if, if I'd have sat there into the third quarter seeking joy from this thing when Auburn started to score all these points and Tennessee didn't keep up, I would have just been dejected. Miserable. Ruined my day. I came here, I was banking on this to bring me joy, and look what happened. Right? When we get things out of kilter and we stop thinking God is the owner and we're the managers, but instead we think we're the owners and we're also the managers. 
for our own stuff, then we lose the ability to enjoy the stuff that God gives us. There's misery in it. Not only that, but we're unable to give and be generous. When we forget that we're just the managers, we start to take a closed-fisted view of money and possessions. We wrap our fingers around them, and we won't let any of them go. When it's mine, we become like children on the playground. It's mine. No, I was here first. I brought that. I claimed it. Right? Any, any of your kids ever get outside and say, shotgun, no, I, you got it yesterday. Right? This is the view of those that cannot be generous because they've stopped seeing God as the owner and provider of all things, and I'm simply the manager for his own glory. No, they've stopped that, and now they think, I own this. I can claim this. And if I can claim it, then I don't have to give any of it away. It's for me. You can't have any. This is mine. But God has called us to be generous, joyful givers. Giving is the natural response to a right view about money. It flows out of a right view of money. If I think that it's mine, then it's my job to protect it from you. But if I understand that it's his, then my job is to use it the way God tells me to. And I can take what I have and I can say, God, it's yours. God, use it. If you want to take it from me and give it to someone else, God, it's yours. Do it. I can say with my kids, God, I know what I would like for them to do, but God, if you want to take them somewhere else and you want to put them you know, into, into missions and you want to send them off into a dangerous part of the world and use them for your glory there, then God, I can hold them loosely and I can give them to you because they're not mine, they're yours. So God, use my kids any way that you would. I can say to my home when, when the church says, hey, we need some people to open up their homes to host home groups or whatever. Uh, well, you know, it's not my home, it's his. So yeah, I'll open my home for that. I can say with my banking account, no, this money's not mine. God's been good and he's given me a job and he's allowed me to work and find fulfillment in that and, and what he gives me in this paycheck is not really mine. It's meant to be used to manage for him. So God, take this. I, wanna, I want to make a statement and say, I trust you as a good heavenly father. You own it all anyway, so you're going to take care of my needs. So God, use this to bring much glory to yourself. So let me ask you some questions as I close out this morning. So what if God is the owner? So what if we're just the managers? So what if, we're, if, if everything we have belongs to God? So what if he expects us to go and to do and to give when he calls us? See, the question is, so what? What will you do with this knowledge? And how does this change your, your attitude toward God and what you have? How does this change the way you give? How does this change the way you budget? Oz Guinness says this, Rebellion against the Lord does not begin with the clenched fist of atheism. Rebellion against the Lord begins with the self-satisfied heart that no longer finds a reason to say thank you. Let's pray together. God, you are indeed good and you have given us all that we need And God, so much more 
Lord, I pray that in this place, as your word has been preached, God, that you would take it, and God, that you would soften hearts, and God, that you would cause ears to hear, and not just in a cerebral way, but God, that you'd cause ears to hear in such a way that it gets down into hearts and comes out in changed lives. God, I pray for the believers in this room that because of the sacrifice of Christ, His living, His dying, His being raised from the dead, God, that it would cause us, that in itself would cause us to change the way we view what we call ours. God, I pray that you would make much of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to give you just a few minutes today to think about what's been said, to think about this issue of ownership and management and the danger of blessing. And maybe you're right in the middle of one of those two places, wilderness or good land. Well, what do you, what do you need to do now? In the middle of wilderness, do you need to stop complaining and just embrace God and just trust Him now? The same God who when we were separated from Him, dead in our sins and trespasses, who didn't hoard things for Himself, but instead sent His own Son to die in our place so that we might be brought into right relationship with Him. That same God, you're telling me that now you can't trust Him to meet your daily needs? Or maybe you're here and you're in the middle of the good land. Have you stopped to remember Him and to bless Him, to thank Him for what you have? Are you you right now in the middle of temptation to forget, to take credit, and to make the stuff more than it is? We want to give you just a few minutes right where you are just to think about what's been said and to maybe take some action as God leads you. Maybe you're here today and, and you say, well, I just need to get alone. I just need to fall on my face and just talk with God. And you can turn around in the floor and put your face in the chair, or you can come up here and put your face in these steps and just cry out to God. You can step out of this room. You can go to the car if you want and just spend some time. God's not locked into a place. He's not locked into this room or this altar. Do business with Him. Maybe today you just need to change your attitude by the grace of God. And say, I'm going to start being thankful for what I have. I'm going to take note of what I have and how good he is. And I'm going to trust him in his provision. Whatever it is that God leads you to, we want to give you an opportunity to move and to do as God leads you. So whatever it is, say yes to him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.